Holly Atwood, come on down. Fast Harry, come on down. Tom Ray, come on down. You are the first contestants on Ron and Anian is right. I purchased a car about five years ago, and the first winter, I experienced hot spots, especially when it was cold. The car doctor. Listen, we got to start old diagnosis is where I always say. Has anybody scanned the car? Has anybody, you know, approached this as let's just see what sort of information the car will give up before we start going off looking for the, the needle in the haystack? Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, come on in. Sit down. Ronnie Indian, the car doctor at your service. Glad to have you here with me this hour, as always, at this particular time as we get together each and every week and uh, talk about automobiles and all things that make mechanical well go tick and clunk and try to make it not go tick and clunk and solve that particular problem, whatever it might be. That's what this radio show is all about. The phone number, 855-560-9900. As always, 855-560-9900. number. You can call that any time, day or night. We're live on the air Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. We're now into our second hour this week. And uh, leave a message if we're not here. Or if the lines are busy and backed up, we've made it so that there is a messaging service attached to 855-560-9900. We'll call you back, get you in the lineup, and uh, talk to you about your car problem right up here on air. And that's what we want to do because we want to educate everybody. And we like the exchange. We like talking to you to see what's on your mind. And sometimes having that conversation about the automobile is important because uh, there's more information than what sometimes you can put down on an email. I want to talk to you about what I like to fix. Someone asked me recently, why did I ever become a mechanic? When was I sorry? And it was a, it was a funny conversation because it, it started out really talking about looking at how hard cars have become to work on. And was I sorry that I ever became a mechanic? No, I'm not sorry I became a mechanic. I'm kind of proud of what I became. You know, I, I I get to work on cars every day. I get to solve problems every day. I get to, you know, sort of scratch the surface of, of, of the edge of the unknown every day some days. Some days it's oil changes and brakes and tires and the things you've done a hundred times, a thousand times. And then sometimes it's that odd thing that you just sort of stumble across, you know, when you least expect it. It's a Ron and Anianism. You know, life is like cheap underwear. You never know when it's going to creep up on you. And... It happened this week. 2002 Taurus came into the shop, and it it had a problem with the CD player. And I think I might have mentioned this on last week's show or maybe the week before that I was working on it. It had a CD player, a six-CD disc changer. It's in the glove compartment to the right on an 02 Taurus, 02 Sable, same thing. And it didn't work. It didn't eject anymore. And it was a matter of I had to take it apart or, you know, it's either take it apart and repair it or or throw it away and and buy another one. Well, 2002 was a couple of years ago, and they're not readily available. You can find them on eBay, and they're $150 and $200 and things like that. But what's the fun in that? Just plug and play. Don't you want to try and fix something? So I, you know, I made my 
work area. I took my workbench and I laid down a clean shop towel, big towel, and I just started taking it apart. I unplugged it out of the car and tried a bunch of things to get it. Didn't work. Couldn't couldn't get it to eject or or, or do what we had to do. So I laid it out on my workbench and I sat down with a couple of screwdrivers and a cup of tea and everybody leave me alone and let me take it apart. And, and part of what went through my mind with this was it's already broken. I, I can't break it any more than it is. It's already it doesn't work. So anything that changes has got to be a step up at this particular moment. And I was also trying to help out a good customer, a regular customer, you know, a, a senior citizen that's, you know, doesn't want to necessarily spend the money, but he still wants to listen to his Broadway show tune CDs and, you know, his his other CDs from a bygone era that you can't necessarily get on MP3 anymore. And you know what? Sometimes it's probably easier to fix that CD player for the older customer because, good gosh, you ever try and explain MP3 players? to somebody of my generation, and here's how they work, and you plug this USB stick into this new adapter, and trust me, it's easier to fix the CD player. So I laid it out on the bench in front of me. There's a lot of screws in those CD players was my first reaction. Holy cow. And there's a lot of different screws, different color, different length, different size. I sure had a lot of screws on my workbench. It was like, holy smokes, and I started clumping them by piles, and I started marking the holes that they came out of. This was the A group. This was the B group. This was the C group, and I got it all apart, and when I got it all apart, I could finally eject the CD carrier, which is the piece. You know, it's a 6-CD. First of all, I hope you remember what CDs were for those for those of us that are a little older. But um, I, I, you know, I ejected the CD cartridge, the, the the box itself from the player. I got that out. It turns out what what Ed had done was he had put a CD in, and it's a, it's a little plastic tray that it sits on. The plastic had gotten bent and it jammed coming back from the cassette, so that it wouldn't release and eject. So this was on CD number three. So. I was able to take the plastic tray out of that, put take the plastic from number one, put it all back together, matched up all my screws, and no, I did not have any screw left over. They were all used, including the three I threw in the garbage can because I couldn't fit. No, I'm only kidding. I actually did replace all the screws, and then I sat and I waited because now I had to get a hold of the customer. I had no way to test it until I, until I you know, got the car back. I waited a day. I waited another day. He finally returned my call. He was busy. He was tied up. I'm not sure if he got the message. And he stopped down. I got to tell you, it's it's pretty exciting when you take something apart that you've never taken apart, when you repair something that you've never repaired. And it really gives you a good feeling to help somebody out in this situation. That Yeah, I plugged it in. It worked great. The only thing I had to do was I had to make the number one CD disc work on three so this way, when he starts it up, it goes two, three, four, five, six, instead of one, two, four, five, six. It's easier on the CD changer, and it works. He's able to listen to Broadway show tunes and and everything else that he could possibly listen to. And that's why I became a mechanic, because I can say, "Gee, look at what I fixed," you know. And it just—I don't know—you thump your chest a little bit and you stand a little taller, and you just 
you're kind of proud of yourself. And what's wrong with that? Because don't we all want to do a good day at work? We all want to do a good job. We all want to make somebody happy. We all want to do what needs to be done. And I said this to this person when they said, are you happy you became a mechanic? Yeah, I'm happy I became a mechanic. I would do it all over again. I only hope there's enough cars left to fix that I can finish my career to be a mechanic. Because I look at the technology. You know, everything is software today. The dishwasher broke at the house this week. It um, it went through an end-of-rinse cycle shortfall. And I knew it because the clean light on the front of the wash dishwasher was blinking seven times. And I knew that seven times meant something. And when I did some research, I found out that you have to hit, there's two buttons on the top out of the 12. You hit those two in rapid succession, and then it resets the machine. And my wife said, how did you know how to do that? And I said, well, I did some research. And she said, but how did you know how to do that? And I said, because that's what I do all day long. I fix cars. It's 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 all software now. It's all It's all digital manipulation. And maybe that's what fixing the CD player was all about because it was still mechanical. I could still take something apart. I could look at it and see the damage. I could see how it worked and figure it out in my head and then put it back together and see it operate. And I think that's what we've lost a lot of in this country that we don't, maybe that's one of the bad things about the internet. It solves problems for us, but it doesn't explain how. And it gives us a different lifestyle, but we don't see it. Maybe we need more visual to make ourselves feel better, just as a thought. And maybe becoming a mechanic helps eliminate that problem because I'm really happy with what I did. So, yeah, for that person that asked, I'm real happy I became a mechanic because I get to fix cars every day and solve problems for people. And that's what I'm here to do today at 855 855- Five six zero nine nine zero zero. Ron and Annie in the car doctor. I'll return right after this to kick open the garage doors. Don't go away. Ron and the car doctor rolling along this hour. Let's kick those garage doors open. Get over to Ben Valley Cottage, New York, 2012 Chevy Impala. Ben, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Thanks for taking my call. I got a 2012 Chevrolet Impala, and I've never had any problems with it, but suddenly I get some sort of a slight buzzing. Uh, It is coming from the area like where the dashboard is. Uh, The radio is non. It's very, very short-ranged. And there doesn't seem to be anything I could do to cause it or stop it. It doesn't happen to accelerate, deaccelerate, turn, slow down, or anything else. It just happens at random. Is is it? You know, noises are tough on radio, obviously, because I can't I can't physically be there. But if I were, one of the things I would be trying is while the noise is happening, if I were to lay, if you lay your hand on top of the dash while it's making the noise, do you feel anything? A slight vibration? Does it change or alter the sound of the noise or the noise at all? I haven't touched the dashboard at all, but it may, seems to maintain a steady volume and uh, about the same length of time each time it happens. Okay. Do you notice or have you tried or maybe you could try the next time it happens, change either the heat 
or the position of the you know blend door, defrost, duct, floor, to see if that alters the noise at all. They they do have some servo motors back there, electric motors that are known to buzz and ratchet and make various noises. Then that you could have a bad servo or a weak servo creating a problem with door position and changing them by altering the heat settings, hot to cold, floor to ceiling, that type of thing may alter the buzz. It's 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 I've got to think it's something along those lines, or do we have a vibration of some sort? Uh, but before I start talking about wiring harnesses that aren't necessarily tucked in the right spot and taking the dashboard apart, Ben, I'd rather go through the simple stuff first. Yeah, well, I'll certainly try to adjust the heat or some other things that are there. I'm anything, not going to any, that dashboard. Yeah, anything in the, the glove box? days are over for me. Yeah, Ben, anything in the glove box? No, it's not Not to have anything to do with the glove box. I don't have a cell phone or anything else in there that could be causing it. It's just like a good old-fashioned buzzer like you got in a grocery store many, many years ago. Okay. And as I said, I can't do anything to create it and make it happen. And it stops by itself after I'd say maybe uh, ten or fifteen seconds. And then what? And you know, then I'd be curious. You know, and I know you said the radio is off when this happens. I'd be curious if you turn the radio on. Are you getting a feedback? Is is it somehow radio related, but it doesn't appear to be? You know, whenever I get a a, a problem with a vehicle or a problem with something that I, I can't quite put my finger on, I always try to change the way I approach it. I change of state is what comes to mind. So if the radio's off, turn the radio on. Keep the volume down. Do you notice mm-hmm. a change in the way it works? Uh, you know, if you can put your hand on top of the dash and a little bit of light pressure, is it perhaps the dash pad rubbing against at such a high frequency that it's rubbing against the bottom of the glass of the inside of the windshield? Is that making the difference? Or is it physically under the dash pad? In that case, then I start to think about servos and altering things there. So... Uh, you know, there's a couple of steps I'd like to see you go through before we go, you know, to the, oh, hey, Ben, let's pull the dashboard out question. All right? Yeah. All right. I'll give that a try. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to answer my call. You're very welcome, Ben. Glad to be here. That's what we're all about. Let's go over and talk to Gloria, line two, Glenrock, New Jersey, I think that is, with the 2001 Toyota Camry. Gloria, you're on with the car doctor. Yes. How can I help? Okay. Um, my Camry has less than 45 thousand miles okay and my problem is leaks from the sunroof into the inside of the car okay with rust coming down with the water and uh, in the last six months or so the snow and the rains the car was out there was leaking into the passenger cabin from the sunroof right this caused a rusty soaking built up of moisture on the inside lining and on a roll of paper towels that I had left on the floor of the front passenger side to be able to mop up the fog that was on the windows inside every time I wanted to use it. Okay. Let me let me tell you about sunroofs, Gloria, if I can. What? One of the things I don't like about sunroofs is they are a calculated leak. They wouldn't work in a submarine. They're a calculated leak. They're not designed to be completely waterproof. And, you know, you think about it, the way production tolerances are, there's too much movement up there, there's too much flexibility in a car today. They can't get every one exactly the same, stamp it out, and make them leak-proof. So what they do to prevent them from leaking inside the car, 
there are two or four water drains in sunroofs that allow the water to go front or back if it, if it has a rear-pitched uh, drain. One of the things we do to diagnose that leak would be open the sunroof as far as you can or at least halfway, and I'm a little cautious on opening older sunroofs all the way for issues with track and, and, and the actual linkage itself, but open the sunroof. Look in the two front corners. You're going to see two small holes. Those are the water drains. My guess is either the driver's side drain is restricted, causing water to back up to the point that it now has to overwork the passenger, or the passenger drain is restricted, causing to overwork, and it's dripping into the car. All right? And yeah. one of the simplest things we do to test it is I'll just take a small Dixie cup of water, a three-ouncer, nothing big, three, four ounces of water. I'll get up on, I'll stand up from inside the car. I'll get a step ladder and stand over the roof of the car and pour that water down the drain, you know, in that corner, left front corner, right front corner. If it's got rear, I'll, I'll pitch it to the rear. That water has to come out on that Camry. It's going to come out just behind the front tire on its respective side. And I find sometimes I find a drain on this side affects this one or a drain on this side being restricted affects that one. Or, and I don't think this is the case because you're saying it comes through the sunroof area when the leak happens. I'm I'm guessing it comes to the sunroof. All I know is that I get moisture. Okay. Because it could also be... sometimes I do get a few drops when I walk into the car. Okay. It could also be that the... The sunroof tube sometimes is spliced. They don't make one that's, they don't make a tube all one piece. And some of the manufacturers will make it where it'll go 18 inches long and then they'll splice another tube up to it. That splice becomes disconnected and it will allow a leak inside the cabin as well. The, the first step in this is go see your mechanic and ask him to do a water drain test for the for the sunroof. If he pours water down, the drain areas, does the water come out, and it's, it's, it's simple. It should be the same volume and speed on the left side as it is on the right side. If one of them is slower than the other, and usually this is very pronounced. Usually this is one side drips and the other side pours, and that's the side that's clogged. That restriction has to be gone away as a, uh, as a first step. That's what you have to do. All right? My worry was that with all the rust, that appeared on the wet paper towel, that the body could be rusty, and I could find the whole thing collapsed. Well, I don't think it'll collapse, but keep in mind, that water's going somewhere. It's not meant to be up in the headliner, so fixing the leak is paramount. Do the water drain test first. We'll talk about the rust second. I'm here for you if you need me. I'm Ron Annie in the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Why don't I need the car doctor rolling along this hour? Um, we are kind of rolling along. Look at this. Gee, we're halfway through the hour. How the heck does that happen? You ever think that time, eh, that's a whole other question. We'll have a physics conversation someday when we're not talking about cars because they've got nothing to do with physics. <clears throat> Let's go over and talk to Yosef in uh, Wichita, Kansas. Some questions about transmissions and batteries. Yosef, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? First of all, happy Easter to you, Ron. Thank you, sir. You too. Uh, my question is, does the transmission affect by the battery at all? Everything's the battery uh, runs dead. Everything's affected by the battery. You know, and it's only going to get worse in time. When you look at 
all the behavioral characteristics they're plugging into cars today. I'm trying to think of, we recently did, some, you know, it was easier. It's almost easier to reflash some of these cars' computers and trying to relearn some of them. If, if, it's probably not quite that case on everything, but there was something recently we did in the shop. I'm trying to remember the scenario at the top of my head that um, it was easier to start a fresh reprogram than trying to program the characteristics back into the trans. It was just, I think it was a Chrysler product we were working on that, yeah, disconnecting the battery, it causes it to lose its its starting point. You know, back in the day, we had mechanical tolerances. It would work this far to that far. And it was a mechanical stop, whatever it was we were working on. The the, the mechanism could be adjusted. The excuse me, in the thr- in the case of the, uh, the the shift cable, the throttle valve cable, the uh, it was you know it had it had a an adjustable range from here to here. Now today, to control that shift point on the transmission, it doesn't have that. It's all done electronically, so the computer has to look at uh, you know there's a lookup table involved. It's and it's it's very wide and it's very you know spread out over time that it says if the trans is doing this 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 do that and it's it's making that calculation and that decision how many times a second how many times in the times of a second so yeah disconnecting the battery which is why you know you disconnect the battery people say i just want to put a battery in a car good luck correct you know, it's 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 not that simple anymore. I laugh at the commercials that, you know, some of the parts places are talking about, you know, stop by, we'll just throw a battery in for you. And I'm thinking the only thing we throw in is people in the pool because putting batteries in cars today has, you know, I've got a couple of Chrysler Sebrings or a couple of GM products where the battery's under the back seat. Or um, perhaps or worse yet, how about those PT Cruisers? Yeah, right, where the, the, the battery's in the fender well and, you know, I don't understand this concept. It's, it's. let me tell you, there's nothing simple on a car anymore. There really isn't. Even changing oil is involved. The resets vary. And, you know, how often and how, you know, and, and you know, what mileage. And then, you know, when they're doing an oil change, are they replacing the drain plug gasket? I can't tell you how many, and it's good for business, I should stop complaining, but, you know, I can't tell you how many oil pans we change because the guys that are doing the oil changes at the other places, the, the and, and i got to say it, a lot of it is the quick loops, that they're not changing gaskets. And I'm not saying they're all like that. There's some very good ones out there. But, you know, there's a couple of bad ones that still seem to be they don't realize the mandate. Honda's the worst. Not the Honda dealers, but Honda cars. Honda cars require that you change, and it's in the owner's manual, it's in the shop manual, that you change the drain plug gasket on the oil pan. And I tell everybody, if you're getting your Honda's oil changed and there isn't a drain plug gasket on the on the bill, either they gave it to you for free or they did it wrong. And it's that simple. And it, right. it, it seems that the Hondas are the ones that will get, you know, gee whiz, in, in, in 45,000 miles, the drain plugs are stripped out and we've got to repair them. Now, that's not to say, you know, Honda's got some pan issues anyway. Some of their aluminum threads leave a lot to be desired. But my point is there's nothing simple. So back to your question. Yes, disconnecting the battery will cause the transmission to lose its adaptives, its operating characteristics, and then they have to be relearned. Now, the good news uh, is, Mike. the good news is, the majority of vehicles, the relearns are our basic common sense things. Okay. Start it up, let it idle, take it for a ride, 
you know, normal. In, in the case of a trans-adaptive, I always try to maintain a, a moderate throttle pressure. I'm not going to get out there and, and drive it like a lunatic, uh, you know, uh, to the floor and, and, and passing gear. And, and, and the other rationale, the other good thing about adaptives is over time, they learn on their own. Correct. Okay. And, you know, one of the other reasons we have adaptives in cars is not just to give us something to do when the battery disconnects. The real reason is because if you get in the car and drive it your style, and I got in the car and I drove it my style, they're just even if we both tried to behave ourselves, they're two different styles. Exactly. And it, it gives the manufacturers the ability to, remember, it's not about making us happy. It's about making the EPA happy. And it, it, it gives the vehicle manufacturer the best shot of hitting miles per gallon and emission levels to meet federal requirements, because that's the name of the game. Can I ask, uh, can I say why I was asking this question? Sure, go ahead. My grandpa and I got into a debate about it today over the phone, and he doesn't think so, but I do. What, that, kind of, that adaptives will be reset by disconnecting the battery? Just by, if the, if the battery went dead in the vehicle, that it would affect the transmission. If the, and, and, you know, the, the other side of that becomes it depends on the year of the vehicle. If it was a 1995, not so much. If it was a 2015, yeah, quite a bit. It was a 92 Crown Victoria we were talking about. Yeah, not so much there. That's old enough back in the days of mechanical that it really wouldn't have a bearing on it. But that's, that's not to say that you didn't have a problem beforehand. Uh, you know, if the car, if the battery went dead, was the car sitting for a length of time? And that's a that's a conversation for a different time. Hey, Yosef, I appreciate the call, and um, I understand, uh, you know, what you and your grandfather were talking about. If you have any additional comments or questions, check us out on Facebook. Ask a question there, like the page, and win a Car Doctor T-shirt. Let's pull over and take a pause for the cause. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. back. Ron and Danny and the Car Doctor. Let's get right into it. The lines are backed up. Let's go to Carl, Richfield Park, New Jersey, with some questions about a Kia Soul. Carl, you're on with the Car Doctor. How can I help? Hey, how you doing? Good. What's going on? Not much, not much. I just had a couple of questions. Sure. I mean, you know, on a, on a, on a, um, on a every three-month basis, you know, uh, we all go and go ahead and um, get our oils uh, changed, you know. But okay. the thing is, that then all of a sudden, after the oil's been changed, you know, uh, I have a friend that, well, he moved to another state now. Or, you know, he said he used to work, you know, in changing oils and then always upselling, um, you know, in regards to, like, changing transmission uh, fluid, radiator, flush, uh, emission and fuel injection service, uh, engine flush and stuff like that. Right. So I, I wanted to see, you know, what, what, which one of these are, are actually important. So, like, that obviously I can keep maintaining the upkeep of my car. Okay. So, and we're talking about a 2010 Kia Soul, Carl? That is correct, yes. All right. Because seventy nine thousand miles on it. So all right, far. so maintenance varies, right? Every vehicle is a little different, and then yeah. you know my recommendations for you on a on a twenty ten Kia would be different than my recommendations for somebody driving a ninety two Chrysler Town and Country minivan. Correct. So 
keeping that in mind that things are very specific today, that there's two ways to look at maintenance. There's manufacturer-based. Here's what the manufacturer says. Now, keep in mind, the manufacturer has a marketing department, and they're trying to convince you that the car never reads anything until it explodes, and then they want to sell you another car. So, you know, that being said, everything needs maintenance. It's manufacturer-based or real world. you got to decide where you live. Um, I, you know, I, I try to point out that I think living in the real world is, is reality because huh? most people do not meet manufacturers' operating conditions. You're, you're in New Jersey. You, you, yes. you, you tell me a day goes by in the summer where you're not sitting in traffic on Route 80 or the Garden State Parkway or the Garden State Plaza or Route 17 or you know, something like that. That's a severe operating condition. Severe operating conditions huh? beat the car up even more, and it, it's important to note that. So with regard to you, you use standard, that particular car takes standard Diamond SP3 transfluid, all right, which, you know, has a typical shelf or a vehicle life of somewhere around the fifty to 60,000 mile market max. And, wow. and after that, you know what, it's overdue. Now, you know, the other side of it is I want to see what operating characteristics are. You know, depending on how you drive, you may change transfluid as often as every 30,000 miles. And it, it really depends on what the fluid looks like a condition. Here's the reason why you want one cook in the kitchen and you want one guy changing your oil. If of course. He's, if he's doing the job right, he takes note of vehicle condition at mileage 10,000. The car comes back three, 4,000 miles later for its oil change if it's conventional. And he takes note of the condition of the car. He keeps track of things. And if he's doing his job right, he's letting you know just as the fluid's starting to get dirty, not when it is. Because, mm. like I said to somebody this week more than once, if you wait for the fluid to be so dirty that it needs to be changed, you probably waited too long. Because now the, the, the damage is done in terms of degradation of components and the way things work. So, mm. good rule of thumb, take a look at the transfluid now. If it's never been done at 79, it's due. You've got to find somebody that'll change it and change it right. There's a bottom trans cooler hose that has to be disconnected because you don't just drain that pan. The Kia actually calls for the trans cooler line to come off and uh, a procedure engine running in neutral drains the converter and then drain the rest out of the pan. That's number one. Carbon cleaning. Carbon cleaning is an issue, and it's very important on cars as they get older. Carbon deposits still occur. You know, it's on a car that age. I'm going to tell you to do it at least every two years. If you're doing 25,000 miles in two years, it's a good rule of thumb. And I'm going to tell you to use a regular fuel system additive, some sort of cleaner, at least once a year, if not twice a year, as preventative maintenance to just sort of upkeep. One's a maintainer. The other is the actual system cleaner is actually a cleaner where it's going to go in. It's a, more, it's a, it's a harsher treatment or a stronger remedy for the problem. As far as, as, far as coolant, Coolant in that car it depends on what it is. If it's conventional green, it's every two to three years. If it's something extended life, it's going to be once every five years. I would tell you to look that up. Look that up in your owner's manual, and you'll get a better idea of what sort of coolant service that particular vehicle needs. If you're looking for more information, get out to my shop website. Get out to raauto.com. I don't like to point it out here on air, but I think this justifies it. There's a services checklist section there. It gives you a rough idea of vehicle maintenance and how to go about it and some of the things you should look for at particular intervals and time frames of the vehicle, raauto.com. Let's get over and talk to Doug, Charleston, West Virginia. Squeeze one more in before we go to break. Doug, welcome to the car, Dr. Sir. How can I help? How are you doing? Good. What's going on? 
I got a 2003 BMW. I'm breaking up. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. Go ahead, Charles. Or Doug. I'm sorry. Right, Doug, I'll... are you there? Doug? Hold on just a second. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess we got to move the ionosphere out of the way here or something. Uh, Doug? Okay, you there? I'm sorry. Yeah. You there? Yes, sir. You there? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, um, I've got a 2003 BMW, and uh, I recently <clears throat> I recently had a problem with a misfire on cylinder three. Okay. And, um, you know, at that particular point in time, the service engine soon light came on. Sure. And I had minimum acceleration, so I pulled over quick. I keep a scan tool with me, so I scanned it, found out that I had a, you know, um, a random misfire on cylinder three. Anyway, I thought it might have had some bad gas or some water in the gas, so I got some dry gas put in the tank, filled the tank back up, and the problem seemed to go away. But long story short, this happened a couple more times. Still thinking I had maybe water and a gas. I was using 87. Right. I switched to 92, and I haven't had the problem since. I'd call that a fluke. I've never, yeah. I, I've never seen Octane create a misfire like that. If the vehicle's mechanically sound, not, uh -huh. n not under normal operating conditions. If, if we're talking about a performance application or high speed operation, but if you're talking about tooling around town 35, 40 miles an hour. I, right. I, have, I haven't seen octane rating affect a vehicle like that. I will tell you this. If there's water in the tank, then, you know, you should consider having a fuel sample pulled to see what it looks like because it could have done damage to other components. And that's, and that's right. really key. I will tell you the number one cause of misfire on those cars is the crankcase vent, and you should have your mechanic check that because that is a very common cause of failure for misfire. That and intake manifold gasket problems. One of the key things in diagnosing that car is take a look at the fuel trims, see where they go, and you can make some calculations and decisions from there. Doug, I appreciate the call. I've got to go. The clock's going to grab me. We'll talk to you next time around. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Anini, the car doctor. Let's get over and squeeze one more in. Nancy, Farmingdale, Long Island. You're on with the car doctor. How can I help? Yeah, how are you doing, Ron? It's yes, been a long Good. time. Thank you. Uh, here's my question. I have a 2005 Toyota Camry four-cylinder, 91,000 miles. I've been riding around a couple months with the passenger airbag light off instead of on, and by the speedometer is a symbol of what looks like a person with an airbag. Um, will I be doing any damage if I keep driving like this? or is there... No, but the problem is there's a fault in the airbag system. Okay. And heaven forbid you're in an accident, uh -huh. the airbag won't work. Okay. So you're, you know, even with your seatbelt on, you're, you're riding around in a car with half its safety system disabled at that point. Now, uh -huh. the, the possible good news is, and I only say this, and I'm not 100% certain, but 
They've had so many recalls for airbags and other issues. Uh, Toyota, Honda, Ford, GM, Chrysler, all of them, they all seem to be recall happy lately, that I would tell you to take that VIN. I would call your dealer on Monday. Or if you jump out online, there are more than a few places now to do VIN recall research. And I think if you just Google search VIN recall, you'll come up with a website the manufacturers have put together. There's a bunch of them out there. And you can type in your VIN, and it will tell you what VIN, what recalls are applicable to your vehicle. And if you have any problem finding it, get out to NHTSA.gov, the NHTSA website, NHTSA.gov. And I believe they have a link to a VIN recall website themselves if it's not actually on their website. But I would just be aware there may be an issue that the vehicle is under recall for the airbag. But the biggest problem is, and nobody ever thinks about it until it actually happens, you may get in, if you get into an accident, the airbag will not work. Good luck to you, Nancy, and thanks for being a loyal listener all these years. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. Everyone.